0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are tuned into Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We broadcast here in the studio of WWE Real 1100 AM every Thursday morning at 11 AM Eastern Standard Time. I hope you all have had a great week. We have an exciting topic and a wonderful, wonderful guest. I can't wait to introduce you to her. Um, But first, like we always do, We got to give our shout outs. So... I am so glad that I started doing this because it just makes me happy that so many people all across the country, it seems, are listening to this show. And it just makes me really, really humbled and honored and grateful. Um, So let's go ahead and get started with our shout outs So first, of course, shout out to my number one fan. Hey, mom, how are you doing this week? Um, Shout outs to Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Charlotte, North Carolina, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Gadsden, Alabama, and Washington, D.C. I would love to shout out your city, so please drop me a line on our Facebook page and tell me where you are listening from. And the next week, I will shout out your city. So today, we are talking about... Organ donation and transplantation. Um, So, as you all know, you know, we talked when we talked with Dr. Deidre Cruz, um, who was our nephrologist uh, expert, and she came on and we were talking a little bit um, about organ donation. And of course, this still is uh, an ongoing issue. Um, And today I actually have an organ transplant surgeon. As our guest, so she is. She is something else. Let me just tell you. Um, but let's just get into just a little bit of background before we bring our guest on. Uh, so organ transplantation is, as I'm sure you can imagine, is a major surgical procedure where a healthy organ from is taken from one person, a donor, uh, and then transplanted or placed inside the body of another person, the recipient. Um, This is often a life-saving surgery um, and gives the recipient a a whole new lease on life. So you have someone who their organ has failed for whatever reason and, you know, they have tried what we call conservative therapy. So they've tried medications and, you know, all of this other things um, that may be uh, prescribed and nothing has helped. Their disease has continued to progress uh, to the point where that organ has failed, um, and when we say an organ has failed, it doesn't mean that it has completely stopped working, but that it its functionality is so reduced that it is causing a um, it, it is causing problems in how the body works in its totality. So whatever that organ contributes, it is not able to contribute its um, its its part um, to keep us healthy and alive and 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 going. So, given the stakes of, of the surgery, um, and most of these um, are you know, long operating times, they're very, very delicate and intricate surgeries. Um, you know, of course, there is a, a risk of you know, the prolonged anesthesia that you have to have in order to have that prolonged operating time. Um, and then once the organ is placed in the body, there is, of course, the risk of rejection. Um, and so this is where our immune system comes into play because it recognizes um, this organ as not the original factory parts, if you will. Um, and then the immune system will do what it is designed to do um, and take care of a foreign invader because the immune system doesn't doesn't necessarily recognize um that this organ was put there to help us out, um, you know, to serve a function that the original organ can no longer perform. Um, and so, you know, they're powerful drugs that, that uh, transplant patients uh, are placed on to reduce that uh, possibility. Um, and then of course, suppressing someone's immune system leaves them vulnerable um, to other types of infections. So, whereas someone, Uh, who is not on these medications would be able to fight off, let's say a common cold or flu, Um, you know, someone who is on immunosuppression drugs um, or drugs that that decrease the immune response, they are very, very vulnerable and very susceptible to, um, you know, just to any kind of of infection. And of course, you know, as we know, uh, we are still in the midst of this COVID pandemic. And so that is, is, is exceptionally dangerous for someone who uh, is immunocompromised in any way So you know this surgery you know most certainly is not to be taken taken lightly in the situation that, that patients find themselves in um, you know is very serious, very dire uh, and, and very uh, time limited um, because of course with the exception of dialysis um, which tries to um, mimic the function of the kidneys, um, you know there aren 't other organ system replacements like that, so uh, you know, for example, if your heart fails, you know we can try medication, but there isn 't a machine that we can connect you to to restore your heart function you know to to what it should be, um, at least that that hasn 't been invented yet, but who knows what the future will hold so let 's take um, you know just a little deeper dive. Uh, into the world of organ transplantation. So currently in the United States, we are capable of performing, now my research said nine when I looked at the the actual number, but then the list is longer than nine, so here we go. So these are the types of organ transplant procedures um, that can can be performed. So we can do kidney transplants, pancreas transplants, liver transplants, heart transplants, lung transplants, uh, corneas which is a part of the eye um a trachea plant transplant which is a part of the lung so the trachea is the the cartilaginous part where that takes the air from the external down and into the actual lung tissue and then takes the expired air back through this tissue and out into the environment there are skin transplants and um, you know, their vascular transplant. So, bone marrow transplant is is one when we think about our sickle cell, um, our patients that are, are doing that. Um, interestingly enough, or at least interesting to me, um, I found out that there is now an intestinal transplant, which is amazing. Um, that you know, you can take a part of someone's gut and move that to someone else's gut, um, and that one is probably you know really really special because quite a bit of our immune system lives in our digestive system. You know, that's, that's a big part of our immune response. And then, of course, um, we have seen um, face and hand transplants. Um, you know, so there was a case I remember um, back in France where a lady had been mauled by a dog and had basically destroyed her face, and they were able to give her a new face um, that you know belonged to someone else, obviously, um, but they were able to transplant that um, and restore a sense of normality and function uh, to that patient, and that was just just incredible. But of course, um, as you can probably imagine, um, that type of situation doesn't happen as often. You know, of course, um, the kidney transplant is is the more common uh, one. So just looking at some numbers, uh, in 2018, there were 36,500 organ transplants performed in the United States and close to 40,000 in uh, 2019. So the number of organ donation procedures that happens is increasing. And that is a good thing um, because that means that more people are able to be saved in some way. Um, the uh, Most organ uh, transplant recipients are between the ages of 50 and 64. Uh, most organs come from deceased donors, so this is um, a procedure that's called a harvesting. Uh, is performed where someone who is recently deceased, their family decides to let their organs um, be harvested or taken uh, from them and put into um, the donor pool, if you will, to, to help extend another life. And I think that whenever I have been a part of, of of that decision that a family has made, it is always very, very special and very, very touching because you are uh, honoring the life of your deceased person by allowing them in some small part to live on inside another person. So you're giving them almost a second life, um, although be it, you know, different from the life that they had when you knew them. The kidney transplant is the most common organ transplant procedure. uh, And organs are transplanted after a very, very rigorous matching process. So you can't just take anybody's kidney and put it into anybody else. Um, You know, there are very, you know, very meticulous details that have to be um, paid attention to in order to match these organs uh, from donor to recipient. And currently in the United States, there are about 200 transplant hospitals. I didn't know that there are so many, so many centers, which again is very encouraging because one of the criteria about being able to receive a um, being able to receive an organ is your proximity to a organ. Center, um, because of course you know these you can't just put these organs up on a shelf you know they they have to be used um, within hours actually, um, and so you know so if you are closer to a transplant hospital that that is better for you, obviously so we are going to go to a commercial break because coming up on the other end of the break, I will introduce you to one of the country's foremost, in my opinion, organ transplant surgeons. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and we'll be back after the break.
1: This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. Rejuvenation for youthfulness and beauty is trending worldwide. People are getting laser hair removal, Botox, dermal fillers, skin brightening, tightening, lifting and reshaping. SmartPlex ATL, a comprehensive medical spa, located in East Cobb, 4799 Old Town Parkway. You can also visit us online at SmartPlexATL.com Dr. Alexander and his team enjoy pampering you while you receive customized treatments in a beautiful, calming, zen-like atmosphere. SmartPlex ATL. We are your Hollywood destination for exciting, youthful rejuvenation. (laughs) Attention pet owners. If you're looking for exceptional veterinary care in a friendly and comfortable environment, you should visit Just for Pets Wellness Center. Just for Pets Wellness Center provides preventative medicine and treatment, and also advanced state-of-the-art veterinary dental care and surgery, all while keeping your pets safe and comfortable. For quality care for your pets and peace of mind for yourself, visit just the number 4petsfl.vet to make an appointment today.
0: Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are tuned in to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and today's show is focused on organ donation. And on the line, we have uh, our guest today, and let me tell you a little bit about her. But before I do that, let me just say that I, I am proud and, and honored to to be counted amongst the amazing women uh, that I consider and call my colleagues. Uh, and you know the fact that they take time out of their schedule to come and talk with us um, it is a blessing uh, and, and it is just a privilege uh, to know them and to be, to be one of them. And so let me introduce you to yet another one of my fabulous friends. This is Dr. Christy W. Gooden, MD, MPH. She is a multi organ transplant surgeon at Medical City Dallas. Her special interests include pediatric and adult kidney, pancreas, and liver transplantation, as well as dialysis access surgery and advanced laparoscopic and robotic surgery. Dr. Gooden received her Bachelor of Science in Biology from Xavier University of Louisiana where she was recently chosen as one of the top 40 under 40 alumni. She then went on to receive a four-year dual degree, medical doctorate and masters of public health in health systems management from Tulane University Health Sciences Center in New Orleans. Dr. Gooden completed her residency in general surgery at the University of Alabama at Birmingham Medical Center. During her residency, she was an NIH scholar, working in the University of Alabama at Birmingham Cardiovascular Transplant Laboratory. She then completed an American Society of Transplant Surgeons Accredited Fellowship at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dr. Gooden started her career at St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, where she was the director of the Kidney Transplant Program, founder and director of the Dialysis Access Center and performed liver transplants. She has served on several regional and national boards and committees, including the review board member for the Heartland Kidney Network, which oversees all of the end-stage renal disease programs in a four-state area, and the UNOS Minority Affairs Committee. She was also the Director of Quality for all of the transplant programs at St. Luke's and served as the Chair of the Quality and Patient Safety Committee for St. Luke's Hospital's Physician Group Practice. At Piedmont here in Atlanta, she partnered with Morehouse to mentor minority residents and students. Now, she is the Director of the North Texas Dialysis Access Clinic in Medical City has more than doubled their kidney transplant volume and has further developed the pediatric kidney transplant program. She also serves as on the End Stage Renal Disease Network of Texas Medical Review Board. She is a published author, accomplished speaker, and most important, a wife and mother of teenage twins. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Christy Gooden to the show. Girl, I didn't know you were read all that. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm putting all of your shine out there. Yes, ma'am, I am. Look at you. I was like, oh, okay. What's up, girl? Hey, lady, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Glad to be talking with you today. Good, good. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us today. Um, Because, of course, you know, this is something that I feel we don't talk about enough about organ transplantation, particularly um, in communities of color, um, because Mm -hmm. due to health disparities, we are the 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 group that, has the most severe disease that leads to the need for organ transplantation. But when it comes time to look at organs that are available, they are in short supply in, in communities of color. And there are a lot of reasons um, for that. And you know what, why don't I start that as, as our as our first question. Why do you think that is, that there is such a, a paucity in the number of organs that are donated in communities of color?
2: There's as everything is multifactorial. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that um, is important, I think, is just about trying to fix the miseducation. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of fear, and some of it is warranted from right. history. Sure. About, you know, what are people going to do if I put, you know, that I'm an organ donor on my on my On your driver's on card? License. Sure. On your driver's license, et cetera. Um, I've heard everything from they're just going to take them. To, <laughs> they're going to let me die um, and then take my organs. And, it, and to me, when I go out into the community, what I really try to do is try to educate people that that's not possible. Like the way people think organs are allocated or given to other people right. is not the way it, it, it is on TV or, you know, right. what you hear and, and, you know, on the, on the you know, uh, some book or some, you know, nowadays with facebook and twitter and, and dr google there's all kinds of stories out there and me as a transplant professional i'm like i can't even use those organs so right that's not it just doesn't
0: right. work that way so i, I will so, put out that for our for our, our audience to know um because you know the the one that that always just makes me shake my head is the one about somebody that wakes up in the bathtub full of ice and you know right. organ is missing i'm like <laughs> that doesn't happen. You can't just you nah. can't just hack in with a butter knife, you know, and just take somebody's <laughs> right. kidney. That's not how that goes.
2: You know. Right. It it takes a lot. It, there's um number one, in order to match a person to an organ mm-hmm. is more than just knowing your blood type. Right. I can't just say because somebody's blood type O oh, and somebody's blood type O, oh, I can give a kidney to them and that and that makes it easy. There is uh, what we call um, cross matching that takes anywhere from five to six hours for mm-hmm. us to mix the blood and see if the body's going to fight off the organ mm-hmm. before we do the operation. Wow! And so you know, if if unless somebody has um, uh, decide has has gotten your blood, ran it through a lab, made sure that it was a match, then in, you know, I'm talking about six hours before they try, they try to kill you. Right. It, <laughs> right. But before you die, they got to give you an injection of blood thinner to keep your blood from clotting off the organ, have a major OR ready to go with the surgeon who's willing to do this. Take it out, put it on ice and all this. I mean, there's a lot of things that go to it. And then the other thing is, if this was so widespread, just because you get a transplant... Does not mean that that's it. You get your new organ and you're done. There's medicine that you have to take that you have to be monitored for. Right. So if this was happening so much, then these patients would get the organs and then have to come to somebody's transplant center to get the point. medication right. and be monitored. Right. We just don't have that happen. Right.
0: Right. Now, so in my research, I read that you know in in other countries this is this is illegal in the United States. It is a felony. Yes. Um, but in yes. other countries, you actually can buy. In Oregon if you need one. Yes. Yes. Um and, but of course you can't, you can't can bring also, that um, here. You can buy get, it in another country, money. but you can't bring it to the United States and have anybody work with it. Um, you know, because right. that would be a, a, a tremendous Illegal. violation of the law as well as our medical ethics. Um, but right. I was shocked to, to learn that that happens anywhere. Um, you know, that was that was something else. I was like, Oh, okay.
2: There's, there is something called uh, destination, just like people go to get plastic surgery in mm-hmm. you know, another country because it's cheaper. Um, there are people sometimes who have family members or are, are, are from other countries will go to another country, get a transplant, and then try to you know, come back to the United States um, and then um, have to work with a transplant program and say, oh, I got transplanted here and now I need to be followed uh that's also very rare but that does happen but just like you hear the stories of people going to get plastic surgery in another country and then come back with a major problem right. the same thing can happen with this sure i would imagine even
0: more so because this surgery is such Absolutely. is so delicate so um mm-hmm. so now how is someone identified as needing a transplant
2: so you in general people talk about the major organs on my side is abdominal so that's kidney that's liver Uh, pancreas, but of course, you know, you have heart, lung, and there's others. Mm -hmm. Um, There are signs that the organs are starting to fail for whatever reason. Sometimes people are born with issues. Uh, Sometimes it's from, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, the American diet over time, um, if you will. Uh, But um, if you say, let's say for kidney disease, uh, patients who are nearing the need for dialysis, Um, So their kidneys are starting to not work as well. The poisons are building up in their system. These are patients that uh, should start being looked at for potential kidney transplant for liver disease patients. Um the liver, um, we follow the liver numbers. Um, patients tend to co- turn what they call jaundiced or yellow. Mm-hmm. Again, those are poisons building up in the system because the, the liver is not working well. Some people develop um, ascites where their belly is big because there's always this fluid in their abdomen. Sure. So there's signs that your body gives before it completely gives out, right. that your organs give before they completely give out. And your physician should be able to, especially if you're following up, with a primary care doctor on a yearly basis and you're getting labs, the key, and when I tell people to try to stay away from my office, the key is to go to your primary care doctor, and if they notice something, that's when you go to the specialist to try to manage the disease sure. so that you don't have to get a transplant. Sure, sure. And it's helpful, too, um, just to
0: piggyback on that, to stay with one primary care physician, or at least Absolutely. if you're moving, get your records. Because yes. if I get your labs today, but I don't know what they look like for the past five years, you know, I'm kind of right. working in the dark. Whereas if I can see a pattern of something happening, then I can identify and say, you know, this is a problem that is progressively getting worse. And this is what we need to do about it. And then you can kind of start to build that team of specialists um, to address these problems. Um, but you know that that snapshot from one day, um you know, is helpful to a point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now, how does someone get ready for a transplant? Because I can only imagine that that is just such a a major thing to go through because you know you already have been battling this disease for however right. long. and now someone tells you that everything that we've done doesn't work, isn't working. Yeah, And mm-hmm. now you have to do to do this.
2: Right. I think, um, and here's another common misconception about transplant. Uh, A lot of people believe that um, if once they have liver disease or once they have heart disease or once they have kidney disease that, oh, somebody just puts my name on a list. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. Um, Whatever organ you are needing, you have to undergo an evaluation process at a transplant program Mm -hmm. to determine if the benefits of transplant outweigh the risk of transplant. Mm. So if anybody ever just says, oh, I'm on the list, you know, and I've had patients who come to me for dialysis access and things like that, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm on the list. And then we check into it, and it's like, no, you're not. You know, mm. you haven't gone through an evaluation process, et cetera. But that evaluation process is not to see if you're perfect. The evaluation process is to see what curveballs you're going to throw at me. How can I prepare you and me for your, for your transplantation? Mm. Some of the things that we look at are compliance. Uh, you know, how how compliant are you with your medications? If you're a dialysis patient, do you go to dialysis every time and stay on dialysis the whole time? Mm-hmm. These things are important because if you're not a compliant patient, then you're not going to take your meds, which will make it so that the body will attack the the whatever new organ that we place. Right. So there's an entire, we look at your, we look at, you know, finances to let you know what you'll need financially. Uh, we'll, we look at social work, what, what type of help will you need? Uh, Do you need to get through transplant? So it's not just head to toe from, you know, from a medical standpoint. It's a complete 360. As a patient, how can we get you through this process? Right. And it's an education process because during that evaluation, I have to educate you about what transplant is and what it isn't and um, what the medicine, what to look out for with the medicines, Sure. Uh, How to prepare yourself for life after transplant. So there's a lot that goes into actually getting on the transplant list.
0: So, you know, again, from my research, um, you know, talking about these, you know, this surgery, and I was in in my intro talking about, you know, how heavy this is, you know, this is Mm -hmm. this is like, of all the major things, this is major, Um, you know, in medicine, you know, there's if there's a hierarchy of, you know, of, of things. So, you know, how about how long are these surgeries? Um, Because, you know, of course, when we talk about the risk of operating time and the time under anesthesia, um, you know, I imagine this isn't something, you know, this isn't a 45 minute deal and we're done, you know, voila, (laughs) you know, about how long do these surgeries last, assuming everything Uh, goes smoothly.
2: Smoothly, right. I would say, um, and we'll just say like a national average. The national average probably for a kidney transplant is somewhere around three hours. Some people are faster. Some people take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a liver transplant, um, I would say the average is probably five to six hours. Um, some, again, you know, it depends on the surgeon. Also, depends on sure. the patient. Sure. When you're talking about doing multiple organs, such as doing a kidney and a pancreas transplant or a liver and a kidney transplant or a heart and a kidney transplant, what I tell patients always is, you know, if you need more organs, there's more problems. Right. And the surgery can be longer. Sure. So, you know, for a kidney pancreas, it could be, you know, six to eight hours, depending on the patient and, wow. and things like that. Wow. And, again, these are averages um, of sure. the nation. Uh, so it's just one of those things. I know one time I was in a kidney pancreas and it was a 12-hour case. So it's just, wow. <laughs> you know. Uh, wow. this is a difficult case, difficult patient. But sure. it's just one of those things where um, um, that's the average, I would say, across the country. Sure.
0: And so, you know, so we've gone through just kind of walking through this process. So, you know, I've been identified that I need an organ. I have mm-hmm. gone through my evaluation. I've been placed yeah. on the list. I've been mm-hmm. on the operating table. What is my life like after the transplant?
2: A successful transplant life is much better. Um, What I tell people all the time is you don't know how sick you are until Mm -hmm. you get a transplant. Until you start feeling better. Until you start feeling better. Yeah. Um, And a lot of times with my transplant patients, I'm trying to slow them down because they're like, oh, I feel great. I'm like, okay, okay, but we still just had surgery like three weeks ago. I need you to to calm it down. Right. (laughs) Because... You know, the, whether it's the liver or the kidney, they one of their primary jobs is to filter poisons out of your system. Mm-hmm. When you are living with kidney disease, when you're living with liver disease, those poisons aren't clear. They're still in your system. Even when you're into on dialysis, you never get down to a state to where you don't have these poisons in sure. your system. The new transplant will do that. So my patients go back to work. Uh, their energy level comes back. Uh, they can travel without having to worry about, you know, um, for my dialysis patients having to figure out where they're going to get dialysis get or bringing mm-hmm. around fluids with them. So, you know, there's always it, the studies have shown that patients spend less time in the hospital if they're a transplant, like a kidney transplant patient, than they do if they're a um, a dialysis patient mm. because there's so many other issues you had. And, and you you would think, oh my goodness, with a trans, you know, with a transplant, I should probably be in the hospital a lot right well my dialysis patients are in the hospital a lot you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's just when you compare it's not only quality of life it's also quantity of life sure Uh, a patient without a liver transplant will die once the liver says i'm done the body's got nothing and we don't have a really good backup system for the liver right so it's with liver transplants either liver transplant or they're going to die With kidney transplant, we have a little something in between. We have dialysis, and I can keep you alive and keep you going. Right. But all the studies have shown from age whatever to even up to age 80, I can extend your life with a transplant. Right. More longer than if you have to stay on dialysis.
0: Now, are there things that a transplant patient post-transplant, are there things that they absolutely cannot do?
2: There are certain meds that um, the certain foods that you can't eat that, that may interact with certain medications, okay. and we go over that. Um, in general, you're immunosuppressed. Yes. So that means that your risk of getting other diseases or not being able to fight off certain higher. So with this COVID pandemic going on, one of, uh, we just had to send out a letter to our patients to remind them, hey, y'all are still immunosuppressed. Sure. Because we were getting patients coming in and getting admitted because they decided to go to some event and not wear a mask. Okay. (laughs) Out of all the people in that room, you're going to get that. And it's going to be harder for us to fix. Right. So it's one of those things where it's about, you know, keeping clean, keeping your hands clean, good hand-washing technique. Um, That's what it's about. And and I also tell patients, too, you have to really learn who you are and know when things aren't going right for you. Sure. So don't wait. Don't, Don't have a fever of 103 for three days. And then call me. Right. It's gonna be way harder to fix that. As soon as your temperature starts going up, you get your nose starts to sniff a little too long. You need to be calling my, my, my transplant office sure. so we can come and have you seen. Right. So it's just about a heightened level So that, of is, not responsibility. A, yeah, that right. is not a responsibility.
0: Yeah. That is not a do it yourself, take care of fever. I'm just no. gonna take some Tylenol and you know and and no. get this figured out. And you know, I always see um, that the patients that should have come sooner are always the ones that seem to wait
2: yeah i, yeah. I don't
0: know what that is I, I, I you know but I'm <laughs> i am like, why weren't you here like two days ago you know <laughs> um but then you have the the person with the paper cut who's there immediately you know i, I don't <laughs> right. I, I don't i don't get that and i'm not kidding y'all i have seen people that come in with paper cuts seriously in yeah. the emergency room yeah. it has happened um so, <laughs> So now staying healthy after transplantation, because I imagine um, that, for example, if someone um, were to get a liver transplant, Mm
2: -hmm. that
0: they, you know, of course, would have to adopt a healthy lifestyle and exercise and that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I imagine like contact sports would be a no. Yes. Or are they able to participate in all of that? Do they go all the way back to to who they want it to be?
2: For the most part, you have patients going back to who they want to be. There again, there has to be some sort of. Um, of- Paying attention to to yourself and and, mm-hmm. and and who you are and what you can do, um, and and it's also an individual discussion with your physician. Uh-huh. Uh, but there are certain things that people can do. People run, um, you know. Um, I know there, cool. you know, people who play, you know, are able to, to play basketball, et cetera. Wow. Um, okay. And so it's it's not like your life goes back to you know what it was before you ever had you know kidney disease or disease. liver disease. Sure. Um, but there are certain things that you can do um, within reason and again it's about individually like I sure. have patients who come and will assess and we' will discuss what's safe for them mm-hmm. based on what who they are and, and, and what they are where they are right now in their in their space sure so it, it's not um it, you know keeping clean you know and healthy and and you know germ free as much as you can all these things are just things that help you
0: And exactly. And, you know, I'm I'm reflecting on our conversation yesterday evening when we were talking about COVID and, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, you know, let me just go ahead and reiterate, if you are immunocompromised for any reason, um, but particularly uh, with an organ transplant, because, you know, you have gone through this process and been on this list and, you know, luckily, and I say, look, Mm -hmm. you know, got matched. You most certainly don't want to put that organ in danger. Uh, or your because, life. Or your life, exactly. Because mm-hmm. what we know, you know, is that COVID does attack every organ system. This is what we're seeing. Um, yes. You know, I have not seen reports of of liver involvement with COVID yet, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that that happens as well. But, you know, definitely mm-hmm. seeing the, the, the microvascular concerns with the heart, with the kidney, with the brain. Um, and so, I, you know, you definitely, you know, just and, and, and I know it's hard because, you know, you want we all want to to go back to our our normal life. But going back to normal activities in the normal way, meaning the no mask way um, right. can be life threatening for this patient population. So even if you are not a immunocompromised patient, if you are a family member,
2: Yes, around one, and, and and I will tell you that has been an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, not not just my immunosuppressed, not just my immunosuppressed patients from actual medication, but dialysis patients. We've had a lot of dialysis patients mm-hmm. get admitted for COVID, not mm-hmm. because they didn't do right, but because they had they family members right. who who came in and and didn't and and didn't. No, to care. Sure. And those patients t- end up dying. Sure, And so we have had a, a, a large influx. Uh, and, and I will say, too, that what we are seeing has changed. We're seeing more young people. We're also seeing, yes, we are pe- having people survive, mm-hmm. but survive with lung disease, ongoing sure. lung disease, or people who now develop diabetes who were not diabetic pre-COVID, sure. uh, or patients who, are, who weren't on dialysis, but because of COVID, end up on dialysis. So we're seeing a lot of long-term issues that people aren't really discussing. Everyone everybody wants to talk about how many people have died. Right. And that's a that's a big enough number. But how many people were not not only you know, they survived but they were maimed by the disease.
0: Most certainly that's well, a huge thing. Well, because, you know, currently today I think we're at two hundred and eleven thousand deaths, but we mm-hmm. are at six or seven million diagnoses.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
0: So, you know, Thankfully, the majority of people are living with, you know, living after their COVID infection. But, you know, like you said, you know, of course, now there's being described in the media and in the literature about the long haulers. So these are people who are symptomatic for a longer time than we initially knew, because, of course, with this being a, a novel virus, we're all learning what this thing will do going forward, you know, we, we are, we are building the plane as we're flying it, really. Um,
2: Absolutely. You
0: know, because, you know, we, we, this is just a new thing of these people who, you know, have tested positive, been sick, got over it, tested negative, but they're still sick. Yes. You know, and so, you know, that, that is, is definitely a, um, a phenomenon that, that we are, are, are working with. Um, so, you know, you definitely have to be, you know, even more so vigilant if you are immunocompromised in any way. So, you know, you've heard it from me, you've heard it from Dr. Gooden, wear your mask or stay in the house, wash your hands. There
2: we go. <laughs> Absolutely. You know Absolutely. So now I hate it when I when these people and these patients come in, some of these patients, you know, you just got your transplant less than six months ago. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, yeah. Um, I mean, your, your your immune system is absolutely compromised. Right. I mean, it's compromised forever, but especially within the first within, year, we're using right. higher doses of medication. You know, mm. I understand the, the want to be and feel normal. Sure. But what I try to teach, but even before COVID, what I try to teach my patients, my transplant patients, is that you're never going to be quote unquote normal, normal. because right. this is not that's I can get you closer to it than but dialysis have, can. But you have been changed. But, but you have been changed. Mm-hmm. and Your immune system is never going to be the same. Right. And, and, and there are things that are going to be different. And you're going to have to just be aware of I tell patients all the time, welcome to the new you. Now we have right. to learn who you are. I don't want to hear about what medicines you that used to work for you. That's different now. Right. These things have changed. And the people who do really well embrace the change, embrace the new life, are grateful for the new life, and and, are, and they're able to move on and live a better life than what they had pre-transplant. It's the patients who are resistant, who um, don't want to, you know, listen, who, you know, want to test the waters. Well, you know, mm. I've seen them too many times and back in the hospital, oh, I should have, oh, I can't believe, oh, you know, you're just like, but we talked about this. We, told, we you can't believe you, you made it. a choice. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Right. We, we did tell you. Yes. So now how do, um, so, you know, we, we've talked about the patient side of the transplant, but for uh-huh. Family members and friends, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I I will say, you know, I'll just speak from a personal page. um, If she's listening, um, my dear friend, Mrs. Smith, uh, she is Mm -hmm. undergoing the process to be evaluated for a kidney transplant currently. Oh, wow. Um,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. um, She uh, was diagnosed with uh, FSGS. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, so she is now she's visited a couple of centers um, and, you know, is going through that whole evaluation. And we are are prayerful and waiting. um, Absolutely. To hear the good news that she has been added to to the organ list. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do as as a, a as a friend, as a family member, how do we support these these patients that are going through this process?
2: I think that, you know, as any good family member or friend, I think, you know, you have to have that listening ear because what they're going through is is a lot, mm-hmm. um, in particular for patients who are, um, you know, it, I think it's really hard for liver patients because they know that if this doesn't work, they're going to die. That's right. that to see your mortality coming in front of you yeah. and 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 your only prayer is that, you know, that it
0: works. you know,
2: somebody that, you know, that that I, I I'm able to be one of the ones that get. You know, get lucky, get the organ. Sure. I think you know that's one thing, but I think too with dialysis patients, it's such a, a ma- they go through a lot of major changes in their life. One getting on dialysis, and one, you know, the hope of getting off of dialysis. But you know, the wait time, I think, is also the other thing that that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in I'm in Texas, so here in Texas, the wait time for certain blood types can be up to six years of being on dialysis. Wow. So. Um, I think that one being able to be a listening ear, um, getting to and from appointments can be really a big thing in their whole evaluation process. Mm-hmm. We have some people who are held up because they can't ever get to their colonoscopy or their mammogram or or things like that. Like I've got their whole workup done, but I haven't. But we still don't have that those that things done, piece. right? Dental, dental can um, can hurt patients as they're trying to wow. to get things because you, some people don't have good, good dental insurance, and sure. so um, if you have everything done but you don't have the money to get because you have really bad teeth, um, and the, the the risk of putting you on me- medications to uh, suppress your immune system increases your risk of developing a, a bad tooth abscess or, or a bad infection, we have to be mindful of that. Sure. Um, I think, wow. too, um, helping them, if they can, find a living donor. Because mm-hmm. living donation, the reason we can do this, it's, it's extremely safe. There's a big evaluation process for living donors as well. Uh, and so it's one of those things where um, if you can help someone find a living donor, it doesn't have to be family, it can be friends they have to go through that evaluation process if they're healthy and the recipient is is healthy enough, then you can cut their waiting time. There is no Mm. major wait. Uh, And Mm. I think living donation is something that has increased and people are getting more and more education about it. But I think especially in in, uh, minority communities, living donation is something that's also not as high as as it could be. There are so many people who rule themselves out right. before they actually even see a doctor right and when you have somebody or they'll say oh i don't want my, my 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 kids want to but i don't want them to but what people don't understand is your family sees you suffering too right. and if i have a way to end your suffering and to improve your life and you're telling me no then you're causing me pain as well do, do you know com- what i mean it's a compounded and, and, grief yeah Exactly, compounded grief. I think that's the thing that people don't understand. So um, I think that anybody who is looking at a uh, a, a transplant should be exploring the option of living donation Mm -hmm. and understand that it's not, if there's, you know, I do both sides of the coin. You know, when we're looking at a donor, I'm not thinking of how great this kidney is going to be for whoever they want to give it to. I'm looking at that person and saying to myself, can I do this operation and 50 years from now they can act like it never happened? Right. And if I can't, if I don't feel comfortable, I don't care if they want to. The answer is no. I have had to turn down mothers who want to give to their babies. Mm. You know, babies born with disease. But the mom has an issue. Right. And as much as that mom doesn't care and wants their baby to survive sure. and do better, I'm looking at it like I can't do this operation and know that you're going to be okay. So right. you're going to have to find another donor. You know, wow. or, or wait. Wow. And so, but that's how important that, that whole evaluation process is. Yeah. It's about taking care of both of sides both. of the coin. Sure.
0: Most certainly. Any, This has been a fascinating conversation. I, I have tremendously enjoyed it and, and, and have learned quite a bit. Uh, and oh, so good. Any, any last parting pieces of advice before we go to commercial?
2: Sure. I think, for me, the most important thing is, I don't want you to see me. Right. (laughs) I want you to take care of yourself. There are, just so people know, there are 108,000 people on the waiting list for an organ right now. Mm -hmm. 28% are African American, 21% are Hispanic. And even though in 2019 we did 23,000 transplants across this country, there are still 108,000 people waiting. Waiting. Mm -hmm. So, what we can do to avoid waiting... Is making sure that if we're diagnosed with diabetes, that we close this and we take care Ooh, of it. Take care of it, That's and, right? And we and we take care of our high blood pressure. These are the things that will prevent us from even having to have that conversation or have that discussion. You know, it, it, the best thing that we can do is take care of ourselves, so you don't have to come to to be on that waiting list.
0: I can't. I couldn't have said anything better to finish up that segment, Dr. Gooden. Thank you so so much for your time today. This has been an excellent, excellent uh, discussion. And of course, uh, you are part of the Medical Minutes family. And anytime you want to come back, we are, are open, open arms, open doors, open ears uh, for what you have to contribute. Thank you so so
2: much. Thank you for inviting me. It's it's good to talk to you, um, you know, how it is with the COVID thing. So it's good to talk to anybody. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? But especially you. And I'm so proud of you. Thank and I you. love the Medical Minutes. And you're doing a great thing. Thank Just you keep so up much. the good, good work.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Dr. Christy Gooden, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes. And we will be back after a short commercial break.
1: Be sure to listen to The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell, a podcast that explores emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In The Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On On the the Old Fashioned fashioned Health Show. show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in. On the Real 1100. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that no matter the time of the day and no matter what day of the week. East Coast, West Coast, all points in between. We We are are always always on. So go to your app store and download the Real 1100 app and listen wherever and whenever.
0: We are back from the break. This is Dr. Carissa, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We just had an excellent, excellent conversation with uh, Dr. Christy Gooden, who is a transplant surgeon out in Dallas. Uh, And one of the things that she was talking about um, was about being a living donor. Um, So, you know, as we said earlier, um, a lot of the uh, transplants are from deceased donors, but there is a thing called being a living donor. So, um, you know, for people who are interested um, in doing that, you can go to uh, UNOS, uh, the United Network for Organ Sharing, U-N-O-S, um, and there is they have a website, and you also can go to um, some national organizations. So the American Heart Association, the American Lung Association, the American Kidney Foundation, the American Liver Foundation, um, and get more information as to how you become um, a donor. Um, There is also, I wrote it down, uh, Donate Life America at www.donatelife.net. Has uh, excellent information about how to become a donor and how to place yourself on that registry. Um, there also, of course, is the um, there is a bone marrow uh, registry for, for people who are, are suffering. Uh, from sickle cell and other bone marrow uh, diseases uh, who need transplantation. Um, And you also can indicate your willingness to be a donor on your driver's license. So most states have partnered with um, the Donate Life America uh, organization um, where that can be identified. But the most important thing to do if you decide to become a donor is to let your family know that that is what your wish is, because, um, you know, there may be times where you are not able to speak for yourself um and, of course, being a donor is is a heavy thing and a, a wonderful gift to give someone. But let someone in your family know that that is, is what your wish is. Um, so really quickly, um, you know, who can be a donor? So people of all ages, medical histories uh, can be a donor. Um, even people um, who are um, affected with HIV, people who are HIV positive. Now, of course, um, in that situation, um, those organs are reserved for recipients, who are also HIV positive. Um, so that way, you know, of course, the the infectivity um, isn't really an issue. Um, In that situation, but, you know, that is that is an encouraging thing to know that even people with, um, you know, with those types of of illnesses um, can still participate in the don in the organ donation process on both sides um, of of that issue. Um, Becoming a donor costs zero dollars. Um, You know, most of the time, even if you are chosen um, as a donor, um, most of the costs are are covered by the recipient's uh, insurance and, and such things. Um, And of course, you know, one of the things that that people have asked me about um, organ donation is, you know, if their loved one is deceased, will that hold up any funeral arrangements or processions? And the answer is no. Um, You know, organ procurement happens um, very, very quickly. um, And, you know, the people who do the organ procurement can can work with. Uh, funeral homes and, you know, get all of that coordinated um, so that the bereaved family doesn't even have to deal with with that detail and they can uh, funeralize their loved one um, as they normally would. Um, but, you know, in the days of COVID, you know, what is normal now? That's just, you yeah, know, that's just a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion. Um, so factors in organ allocation. And so basically when we talk about who gets what and when. Um, so, of course, there's a waiting time. And, you know, Dr. Gooden mentioned um, that the waiting time can be um, years um, to wait for an organ um There's also the donor-recipient compatibility, um, because that is important, the matching, um, that is very important, Um, a prior living donor, Uh, distance from a donor hospital because, as I said, these organs have a very limited shelf life. So if it is going to take you 12 hours to get to the hospital, that's not going to be the hospital where, you you know, you should go because, you know, the organ may not be any good by the time you get there. Um, Of course, we evaluate the uh, survival benefit. Um, And then for pediatric status, um, you know, there's a different set of criteria, or an additional set of criteria, when we talk about our little ones who uh, get organ transplantation because the size of the organ becomes an issue um, because they're little, um, and so you know you want something. You know, you have to have that kind of matching, that level of matching, and then of course uh, your your medical urgency. Um, so people who are sickest and closest to uh, to to dying are the ones who, you know, who would obviously need an organ more urgently. So that is our our main topic for the day, but we're going to go ahead and pivot into our vitamin C. And so here we go. So earlier this week, I stopped at my local pharmacy. And while I was in line, I noticed the pharmacy tech was having conversation with each person in the line. Um, And I also noticed all of the heavy, loud sighing and heaving and groaning from the people who were behind me in the line, right? Um, So when it was my turn, the pharmacist um, needed to do something, you know, with my prescription because, you know, it's always something extra. But the next thing I know, the pharmacist just strolls right out of the pharmacy and, you know, doesn't say I'm going wherever. He just leaves. And so the tech looks at me, it's like, did he just walk out? And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think so. And so, you know, the tech is very apologetic. You know, I'm so sorry, um, you know, that this is going to have to cause you to wait. And, of course, the people behind me, you know, more sighing, more groaning, more, you know, just anger. And I just had to stop in that moment and say, you know what, perhaps he had a human need that he needed to attend to. Um, and so, you know, I have some other stuff that I'll get from the pharmacy, some other shopping, you know. I love buying stuff that I don't need. I'm not the only one. Um, And so I'll just, you know, kind of browse around and I'll just come back. No big deal, right? So a few minutes later, I'm at the general checkout line and a lady who was at the pharmacy with me, she comes up and she says to me, "Um, you know, I heard you say he's human. And I had to stop myself. You know, I was getting all mad standing in the line. But then I thought after I heard you say he's human, I had to check myself and say, you know, well, what what am I really rushing for? What am I in a rush about? And that brings me to today's vitamin C about grace. So since this pandemic hit earlier this year, it's inarguable that human interactions have changed, right? Right. Um, And so for many of us, these brief face-to-face encounters that we have with a live human being, be that a cashier or the tech behind the counter at the pharmacy, you know, these may be, you know, the only live in-person encounters that a person will have. Or it may be just that little lifeline that gets a person through their day because they have been so isolated and this is their one time out to actually talk face-to-face with another human being. So let's try um, in our day-to-day, let's try to extend a little more grace to each other um, in the checkout line, right? So two quotes from today, for today, quote, You can have the other words, chance, luck, coincidence, serendipity. I'll take grace. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'll take it. And that is from the poet Mary Oliver. And the next quote, quote, I do not understand at all the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. And that is from the poet Anne Lamott. And so, once again, thank you so much for spending the best hour of my week with me. I hope that you all have a a great week. Be good to yourself and be good to each other. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.